So when you know, if you watch yourself, you say, well, I had a particularly good day at work. And what does that mean? Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It means that you lost your sense of time, right? Because when you're having not a good day at work, it's like first it's one minute to three and then it's 45 seconds to three and then it's 30 seconds. That's what school was like for me. It was like click. <laughs> so funny, you know, I went to I went to my daughter's school. <laughs> I used to get in trouble for talking all the time. Surprise, surprise. When I was a kid and, uh, and I was bored stiff in school and, and so I would misbehave upon occasion out of pure boredom and about 21 years ago, I went to my daughter's school to sit for a class. It was about an hour long. And uh, I was sitting there, and the teacher had all the kids on the floor and was having some of the kids read to the others. And some of the kids who were reading couldn't read at all. And I had exactly the same experience. I was sitting there. It was like being, it was like being seven years old again. I could see the clock going tick. <laughs> tick and I thought you know if I was in this classroom for three days I would misbehave 40 years old I would misbehave exactly like I did when I was when I was six oh. well that's no place to be right because that's you don't want to be in a place that's stultifying you don't want to be in a place where there's no challenge you might even quit your job if there's no challenge say well that's a good job it gives you security and you think god i can't stand this it's eating away at my soul it's all security and no challenge so why do you want to challenge because that's what you're built for that's what you're built for you're built to take on a maximal load right because that's what strengthens you and you need to be strong because life is extraordinarily difficult and because the evil king is always whittling away at the structure of the state and you have to be awake and sharp to stop that from happening so that you don't become corrupt and so that your family doesn't become corrupt and so that your state doesn't have to become, be, be, become corrupt. You have to have your eyes open and your wits sharp and your words at the ready and you have to be educated and you have to know about your history and you know how, have to know how to think and you have to know how to read and you have to know how to speak and you have to know how to aim and you have to be willing to hoist the troubles of the world up on your shoulders. And what's so interesting about that, so remarkable, and, and this is something that's really manifested itself to me as I've been doing these public lectures. I've been talking about responsibility to people, which doesn't seem to happen very often anymore. And the audiences are dead quiet. And I lay out this idea that life is tragedy tainted by malevolence. And everyone says, yeah, well, we already always suspected that. But no one has ever said it quite so bluntly. And it's quite a relief to hear that I'm not the only person who has those suspicions. And then the second part of that is the better part. And it's the optimistic part, which is despite the fact that life is a tragedy tainted by malevolence, at every level of existence, there's something about the human spirit that can thrive under precisely those conditions if we allow that to occur 
because as difficult as life is and as horrible as we are, our capacity to deal with that catastrophe and to transcend that malevolent spirit is more powerful than, the, than that reality itself. And that's the fundamental issue. I think that's the fundamental issue of the Judeo-Christian ethic with its emphasis on the divinity of the individual. As catastrophic as life is and as malevolent as people can be, and that's malevolent beyond belief fundamentally. The, a person has in spirit the nobility to set that right and to defeat evil. And that, and that more than that, and that the antidote to the catastrophe of life and the suffering of life and the tragedy of life that can drive you down and destroy you is to take on exactly that responsibility and to say, well, there's plenty of work to be done and isn't that terrible? And there isn't anything so bad that we can't make it worse and certainly try very hard to do so, but I have it within me to decide that I'm going to stand up against that. I'm going to strive to make the world a better place. I'm going to strive to constrain the malevolence that's in my own heart and to set my family straight and to work to work despite my tragic lot for the betterment of anything, of everything that's in front of me. And the consequence of that, the immediate consequence of that, is that when you make the decision to take on all of that voluntarily, which is to stand up straight, by the way, with your shoulders back, to take on that, all that on voluntarily, as soon as you make that decision, then all the catastrophe justifies itself in the nobility of your striving. And that's what it means to be an individual. Compare yourself to who you were yesterday, not to who someone else is today. Because you need to have a, a hierarchy of improvement. You need to be aiming for something. And that means you're going to be lesser than people who've always already attained along that dimension. So the question is, who should you defeat in the final analysis? And the answer is, you should defeat your former self. You should be constantly trying to do that. And you're the right control for yourself, too, because you're the one who's had all your advantages and disadvantages. And so if you want to compete fairly with someone, then you should be competing with you. If you're improving yourself, then what you are doing is competing with your lesser self. And then you might also ask, well, what is that lesser self? And that lesser self would be resentful and bitter and aggressive and vengeance-seeking and all of those things that go along with having a negative moral character. And those are things that interfere with your ability to progress as you move forward through life. So it's very necessary to understand that this is why, you know, I've been stressing this idea of personal responsibility. It's like, well, personal responsibility is to compete with yourself, is to be slightly better than yourself the next day. And it better in some way that you can actually manage, and that's humility. Like, well, I'm a flawed person, and I've got all my problems. Could I be as good as person X? It's like, not the right question. The right question is, could you be slightly better tomorrow than your currently flawed self? And the answer to that is, if you have enough humility to set the bar properly low, then you could be better tomorrow than you are today. And you might say, well, what's the right way of being in the world? if there is such a thing. And it's not acting according to a set of rules. It's attempting continually to transcend the flawed thing that you currently are. And what's so interesting about that is that the meaning in life is to be found in that pursuit. So I've been laying that out in these discussions too, because I say, well, the, the fundamental issue is that life is tragic and difficult, very tragic and difficult for everyone. 
and it's also tainted by malevolence because no matter how things are tragic and difficult but there's always some stupid thing that you could do or someone else could do that could make it even worse than it has to be and so that's life and you need an antidote to that because that can embitter you constant contact with that just the tragedy but the tragedy combined with betrayal and malevolence that makes it even worse especially if it's self-induced okay so you need something to set against that so you don't get bitter and resentful well, what do you set against that doing something worthwhile by your own definition say you need some reason to get the hell out of bed on a terrible day because you've got something good to do well what's the best thing you can do transcend your current wretched and miserable self there's meaning to be found in that and that's a meaning that's associated with responsibility one of the things that I've been trying to lay out clearly is that life is hard it's tainted by malevolence and betrayal that can make you bitter you need a meaning to offset that where's the meaning to be found not in rights not in impulsive pleasure but in responsibility you take responsibility for yourself so you take care of yourself if you're good at it you have some excess left over to take care of your damn family if you're good at both of those then you have some excess left over to take care of your community those are heavy burdens you pick up the burdens you find that's meaningful the best way to pick up the burden is to continually improve yourself and that's where the meaning is to be found and so that meaning is in the continual self transcendence that's letting your old self die and the new self be reborn even if things are going really well for you now there's going to be a time in the future where things are rough you know you're going to be ill family members going to be ill a dream is going to fall apart you're going to be uncertain about your employment status like the the flood is coming right the apocalypse is coming it's always the case in life and you have to be prepared for it and the question is how to prepare for it and the answer to that is to find a way of being that works even under the direst of circumstances you've got the possibility to slowly raise yourself out of the mire you've got the, the possibility to do just what the fighter does when he's defeated which is to say well regardless of the circumstances that might have led to my defeat like even if there were errors on the part of the referee this is no time to whine about it this is a time to take stock of what I did wrong so that I could improve it into the future and that's the right attitude the point is your best strategic position is how am I insufficient and how can I rectify that that's what you've got and the thing is you are insufficient and you could rectify it both of those are within your grasp if you aim low enough and I don't mean don't aim and I don't mean don't aim up but you have to accept the fact that you can set yourself a goal that you can attain and there's not going to be much glory in it to begin with because if you're not in very good shape the goal that you could attain tomorrow isn't very glorious but it, it's a hell of a lot better than nothing and it beats the hell out of bitterness and it's way better than blaming someone else it's way less dangerous and you could do it and what's cool about it it's one step on a very long journey and it starts to compound on you so a small step today means puts you in a position to take a slightly bigger step the next day and then that puts you in a position to take a slightly bigger step the next day and you do that for two or three years man you're starting to stride I don't know how many people have come and told me it's so strange they said well I started making my bed and that made all the difference it's like well yeah you decided to aim up man and the first concrete instantiation of that was that you made your bed and you think well that's nothing heroic it's like no but aiming up is heroic that's something and then lowering yourself to the point where you're not above the mess in your room you know you're not superordinate to that you lower yourself so that you straighten up 
you, you're grateful for what you have right in front of you and you take care of it and you put it in order. It's like all of a sudden things start to get better. And one of the reasons that audiences are responding to what I've been saying in my lectures and what I've been writing about is that I don't tell people that they're okay the way they are. No, I say, no, no, you could be way more than you are. And they're relieved about that, you see, because if you're in a dark and terrible place and someone says you're okay the way you are, then you don't know what to do about that. It's right. like, no, I'm not. I'm having a terrible time and I'm hopeless. You're okay the way you are. Well, then what? what? That's it? That's where I am? And what do you want to tell a young person? You're 17. You're okay the way you are. It's like, no, you're not. You got 60 years to be better. And you could be way better. You could be incomparably better across multiple dimensions. And in pursuing that better, that's where you'll find the meaning in your life. And that will give you the antidote to the suffering. This is the trick, though. You have to pick a path of discipline. Whether what path of discipline you have to pick is a different issue. So there could be a rule. The rule could be, the rule might not be follow this rule. The rule might be, you have to follow some rules. So it's a meta rule. And the meta rule is you have to discipline yourself. And the issue is, well, how? That's not really the relevant question. You can pick a disciplinary path. That's why I often tell my clients, especially young people, they say, well, I don't know what to do. It's like, that's okay. Nobody does. Go do something. Do the best thing that you can think of. Put the best plan you have into practice. It's not going to be perfect, and it will change along the way. But it will change partly because you become disciplined pursuing the path. And as you become disciplined, you become wiser. And as you become wiser, you become able to formulate better and better plans. So you can start vaguely and confused and develop a plan that's not so great. And you start to implement it. And then you, you accrue incremental wisdom as you implement your flawed plan. And that enables you to fix the plan. And so that's part of that process of incremental self-improvement as well. Imagine you only got a hundred, you only have a hundred thousand dollars to go buy a house. And so you go buy, you go look at this house and it's like, Jesus, this house, man, it's like, it needs a lot of work. It's like, well, that's all you've got. Well, are you going to pretend that the house is okay the way it is? Or are you going to look for where it's rotten and where the plumbing doesn't work and where the stove doesn't work? You have to go and look and see where everything needs to be fixed. And that's like, that is harsh, man. And then in order to do that properly, someone has to have taught you, it's look, you aren't your problems. You're most fundamentally that which, if it confronts its problems, can solve them. And that's the hero myth in a, in, a, in a nutshell, by the way. The hero is the person who confronts horrible, chaotic potential and tames it and makes something of it, right? That's the, that's the fundamental human story. But the problem is, is that you have to face what you don't want to face in order to fix it. So you look at all the things about yourself that need to be burned off, that need to be dispensed with. And that man, especially at the beginning, especially if you're screwed up, that may be like 95% of you. It's not pleasant. But if you know that you're the thing that can transcend your problems, most fundamentally, if you know you're the thing that, if it faces the problems, can transcend them, then you have the faith that would enable you to take stock of who you are. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So there's this idea in Cain and Abel that you have to make sacrifices 
in order to stay on the good side of God. And so I thought about that um, practically, say, not so much metaphysically, but practically, and realized that that was equivalent to the discovery of time, of the future. Because we do, we do act, and, it, and this is a peculiar discovery of human beings, and maybe a consequence of our expanded intelligence, is that we're actually aware of the future. And we actually treat the future as if it's something that you can bargain with. Now, partly it's because the future is other people and they remember your reputation. They remember your past actions. And if you do someone a favor, then that favor is in some sense stored up in the future. So you could think about the future as a place of judgment about your moral actions. And it's not that far from that to imagining a God who's keeping track of that or who even is that. But in any case, the idea of sacrifice emerges in the story of Cain and Abel and Cain and Abel both make sacrifices to God in, in order to stay on his good side, let's say. And what a sacrifice means is that you give up something of value in the present so that you can be, so that you can improve the future. And, you know, that's no different from what we call discipline. It's exactly the same thing. It's just the, the concretely acted out version of that. And so, you know, the idea basically was that, well, God was in the transcendent heavens and and the first question would be well why is that and it's like well if you go out on a really dark night and look up at the sky you have a sense of what's beyond you what what's transcendent what's infinite and and so to associate that with the highest of values is a reasonable association right from from a say from an emotional point of view so it's not particularly primitive it's a smart um, metaphor or it's a smart intuition that 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 and it's above you. And, you know, we tend to think of when you're moving towards an ideal that you're moving up, that you're moving above, you're moving to the mountaintop, right? You're going up, not down. And so it all sits within that same framework. And it's partly because when you go up, like on a mountain, you can see for long distances, right? So those, all those things are tangled together. So the idea is that you have to give up something of value now so you, so that you make the future better. And Sometimes it's even something you love now, and, and that, that's a good example too, because often the things that stop us from moving forward are our attachments to things that we should no longer be attached to, right? And in fact, you can almost make that definitional. If you're not moving forward in your life, there's a high probability that you have some idea or some mode of action or some habit that you're so in love with that you won't let go of it. So. All right, so Cain and, a Cain and Abel make sacrifices, and there's kind of a hint in the story that it's just a hint that Cain sacrifices are sort of second rate. But in any case, it's ambivalent, hey? But Abel, he just does wonderfully well, and everything works out for him. And everyone knows people like that, you know? And so God accepts his sacrifices, but for some reason he rejects Cain's. And Maybe it's the arbitrariness of God, or maybe it's because Cain's heart isn't in the right place when he's making his sacrifices, which is more likely. And so Cain goes and has a chat with God, and he says, basically what he says is something like, how in the world can you possibly justify this universe that you created? You look at me, and I'm breaking myself in half trying to adapt and to make things right, and it's not working. And then there's this able character, and things come easy to him, and Everything is flourishing for him. And so, like, what the hell? If you don't understand that question, then you're not thinking. Because it's very, very frequently the case when a serious catastrophe besets you in life, 
that you essentially ask exactly that question. What's the meaning of life? What's the purpose of the world? How come there's suffering? And it's easy to become resentful and vengeful as a consequence of that. And so you got to think about what state of mind having your sacrifices rejected puts you in, especially when you see someone who's successful, because that's where the jealousy and and resentment starts to starts to what fester is probably the right word. And so God says to Cain exactly what he doesn't want to hear, which is, well, yeah, okay, but you have made lots of mistakes in your life. So he basically says sin is at your door like a predatory and sexually aroused animal and you've invited it into your house to have its way with you and produce something creative as a consequence. So you use a sexual metaphor, you know, and so that you've willingly gone down the negative path and you've allowed that to enter into you and and to operate in a creative manner and you've spun off all these terrible thoughts and, and this justification for not acting properly and that's why things aren't going well for you and so don't lay that at my feet which is the most brutal possible message he could have got. And so then he leaves the presence of God, let's say, and it says in the story that his countenance fell, which meant he was basically enraged. And so what does he do? He goes out and kills Abel. And then that's that's a very fascinating idea because Abel is his ideal. So he kills his ideal. And when you kill your ideal, you're lost. Sacrifice. You get to pick your damn sacrifice. That's all. You don't get to not make one. You're sacrificial whether you want to be or not. This is the Peter Pan story, roughly speaking. Is Peter Pan is this magical boy. Pan means, Pan is the god of everything, roughly speaking, right? And so it's not an accident that he has the name Pan. And he's the boy that won't grow up. And he's magical. Well, that's because children are magical. They can be anything. They're nothing but potential. And Peter Pan doesn't want to give that up. Why? Well, he's got some adults around him, but the main adult is Captain Hook. Well, who the hell wants to grow up to be Captain Hook? First of all, you've got a hook. Second, you're a tyrant. And third, you're chased by the dragon of chaos with a clock in its stomach, right? The crocodile. It's already got a piece of you. Well, that's what happens when you get older. Time has already got a piece of you. And eventually, it's got a taste for you. And eventually, it's going to eat you. And so Hook is so traumatized by that that he can't help but be a tyrant. And then Peter Pan looks at traumatized Hook and says, well, no, I'm not sacrificing my childhood for that. So that's fine, except he ends up king of lost boys. In Neverland, well, Neverland doesn't exist. And who the hell wants to be king of the lost boys? And he also sacrifices the possibility that he'll have a real relationship with a woman, because that's Wendy, right? And she's kind of conservative, middle class, London dwelling girl. She wants to grow up and have kids and have a life. She accepts her mortality. She accepts her maturity. Peter Pan has to content himself with Tinkerbell. She doesn't even exist. She's like, she's like the fairy of porn. She doesn't exist. She's the substitute for the real thing. And so, but the dichotomy that you're talking about, is very tricky because there's a sacrificial element in maturation. Right? You have to sacrifice the pluripotentiality of childhood for the actuality of a frame. And the question is, well, why would you do that? Well, one reason is it happens to you whether you do it or not. You can either choose your damn limitation or you can let it take you unaware when you're 30 or even worse when you're 40. And then 
that is not a happy day. You see, I see people like this, and I think it's more and more common in our culture because people can put off maturity without suffering an immediate penalty. But all that happens is the penalty accrues. And then when it finally hits, it just wallops you because when you're 25, you can be an idiot. It's no problem. Even when you're out in a job search, it's like, well, you don't have any experience and you're kind of clueless. It's yeah, yeah, you're young. You know, it's no problem. We can, that's what young people are like, but they're full of potential. Okay, well, now you're the same person at 30. It's like people aren't so thrilled about you at that point. It's like, what the hell have you been doing for the last 10 years? Well, I'm just as clueless as I was when I was 22. It's yeah, but you're not 22. You're an old infant, right? And that's an ugly thing, an old infant. So the, the re- part of the reason you choose your damn sacrifice, because the sacrifice is inevitable, but at least you get to choose it. And then there's something that's, that's even more complex than that in some sense is that The problem with being a child is that all you are is potential, and it's really low resolution. You could be anything, but you're not anything. So then you go and you adopt an apprenticeship, roughly speaking, and then you become, at least you become something. And when you're something, that makes the world open up to you again. You know, like if you're a really good plumber, then you end up being far more than a plumber, right? You end up being a good employer. Not not that plumbers, I'm not putting plumbers down, it's like more power to plumbers. They've saved more lives than doctors. So, hygiene, right? So, you know, if you're a really good plumber, well, then you have some employees, you run a business, you, 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 make, you, you train some other people, you enlarge their lives, you're kind of a pillar of the community, you, you have your family. It's, you can, once you pass through that narrow training period, which narrows you and constricts you and develops you at the same time, then you can come out the other end with a bunch of new possibility at, hell, at hand. And Jung talked about that. He thought that the proper part of the proper path of development in the last half of life was to rediscover the child that you left behind as you were apprenticing. And so then you get to be something and regain that potential at the same time. Very, very smart. Well, he was very, very smart. So that's very wise. Very wise thing to know. Sacrifice. You get to pick your damn sacrifice. That's all. You don't get to not make one.